श्रीला गुरुदेव की जाए श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाए श्री नवद्विधाम की जाए अबीर बाप महोत सत्य श्रीला ठाकुर भक्त विनोद की जाए गौर भक्त वृंद की जाए गौर सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम श्री नवद्विधाम टुडे इन द मॉर्निंग आई हैड द फॉर्चून टू अराइव टुडे अबोव द श्रीमन महाप्रभु सो हियर टुडे वी आर सेलिब्रेटिंग हियर Sri Thakur Bhakti Nath Sabir Baba, I know that in the West it was yesterday, but somehow we are extending the celebration through this meeting. So, some few words concerning a summary of what we shared last Sunday regarding the topic of cultivating the Ragamark while authentically addressing our material needs. So, well, briefly we mentioned that this, the title in itself was Uh, thought-provoking thought hmm? because the two parts of it were equally important and only one may, uh, may be violence towards the other if, if the other one is not included. If you only cultivate your ragamark without being properly human, that may be really damaging for your ragamark. And if you try only to address your material needs, if you will, without addressing the ragamark, that may be just basically hmm? mundane experience. Hmm? So We spoke in that connection to how to basically um, engage ourselves in these two directions it, 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 and, and, and basically avoid all types of laziness that may uh, stop us from doing so. Sometimes I like to speak in terms of Sahajism. Because Sahajism, sometimes we think in Sahaja being you want to jump quickly to something that is above your head and that's one form of that. But I basically I will say the opposite also. Sahajism is... You are invited to grow to a particular new stage and you are not willing to, to embrace that invitation. So it is another way of trying to remain in comfort zone. So in, in these two directions we have to properly be careful of all, all of these varieties. So we mentioned we belong to the Ragamark. That's an important point we try to make to begin with. Our Gaudiya Sampradaya is about Ragavakti, which points to Vrindavan and the only way to enter into Vrindavan is embracing Raganuga Bhakti Sadhana and Vrindavan. And of course, Navadi, which is another phase of Braj, uh, is our Prayojan, our Sadhya, our goal to attain. And this Braj, or this Navadi, is connected intimately with this notion of Naralila. And Naralila, of course, has to do with sometimes how Srila Prabhupada call it human like pastimes. So there's a good amount of humanity connected with our ultimate prospect. So And at the same time, this is connected with our humanity, as sadhakas, I will say, and our sadhaka stage project. So somehow the Naralila of Braj especially is extending to ourselves in the form of the Gorlila in Nadia, in our particular stage as sadhakas. Because eventually we aspire to live forever as perfected sadhakas, siddhas, but acting as sadhakas in Nitya Naudu. So right now we are being part of this Gorlila Sankirtan Lila in a very generous way. So basically we mentioned the importance of not discarding <clears throat> our humanity in the name of transcendence. Because sometimes in the name of being transcendental we end up being inhuman, basically. And we, dis we discard all possibility of humanity and by doing so we are rejecting all Nara Lila, all Krishna Lila, all Gorlila. <laughs> In the name of transcending, 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 we are actually losing transcendence. Mm -hmm. So, humanity is a very crucial element to integrate in our Braga Bhakti project. 
but of course we also share some ideas about how what to do how to integrate that in our present situation where we are not siddhas we may not be even jata ruchi uh, sarakas so the importance of ascertaining our present stage our present moment our present situation and the goal we want to attain where we want to go where we are and trying to establish the distance between one and the other and threading the path in that direction how to deal with our present relativity if you will in the context of our ultimate attainment which is in itself something very powerful we are not to underestimate the power of even in theory establishing in our life setting a goal ultimate goal to things such as Vrindavan such as Raghavakti, such as Gorlila, no? to, to, to even in theory establish such a goal, such an attainment, is such a purifying, such a powerful thing. Mm? Such a powerful thing to have a hope to enter in such a place, I will say. Mm? Even if in practice we feel ourselves so much far away from there, to have that invitation, that window of opportunity, and to feel that we are being really invited in that direction, and all the invitation cards keep extending into our lives, <laughs> that creates so much hope. And, and through that hope, we will be able to overcome whatever discouragement may appear in the path. Hmm? And also, well, we also share some ideas regarding the notion of Barna Ashram and how I personally at least conceive of Barna Ashram, like in practical terms, basically to, to deal with our emotionality and psychology and, and DNA. And integration of complexity, which is a, a term I like a lot, in connection to really put in place all those things that are not still fine in, in, in their proper uh, corner, if you will, section of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So, so anarthanibriti for me will be another way of speaking about integration of complexity, I will actually, dealing with all the things that are begging mm, for harmony. Anarthanibriti is not kill your enemies or something like this. No? Point to the enemies outside and subtly enter into victim consciousness. <laughs> but an Arthanibriti, my Guru Maharaj would like to say, an Arthanibriti means to put your enemies, so-called enemies, in the altar and worship them. In other words, those things that you think are your enemies, you have to realize they are not your enemies. Krishna says in the Gita, in Bandura, Batmana Astasya, Inatmai Batmana Jitaha, Anatmana the mind has the potential to be your worst enemy or your best friend, whether it's depending if it's control or uncontrolled. So the, for us, the, the idea with this is, if you see a worst enemy, that worst enemy has the potential of becoming your best friend. So that's a real challenge. Imagine if I tell you, try to think about your worst possible enemy in your life, and now the challenge is, that person has to become your best friend. And that's the whole idea with dealing with our so-called enemies or so-called anarthas. They are not enemies. They are just false values. Anartha means a false perception of value. I'm feeling there's value there and I'm investing myself in that direction where actually it's not there. It's in another direction. So try to learn from your anarthas. Try to learn from those things you feel are enemies, shouldn't be happening, are getting in the way of my progress. Try to put them in the altar in the sense of Try to extract some teaching from that. Try to enrich your own life. Try to integrate complexity. As they say in Japan, this kintsugi. Now when they broke some jar, instead of throwing that out of the window, they fix it with gold, liquid gold. So all the parts that are broken are highlighted with gold. Like implying all these scars in life, 
uh, are part of your story and part of your learning. But again, anartha nibriti is to be engaged in, in the context of what Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will say, artha prabriti. So we are not only about neti neti. No, this not, this not, this is anartha, this is maya, this is illusion, but artha prabriti. No, not only dismissing or, 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 or trying to deal with that which is relative, but in the context of attaining that which is the real well, the real necessity. Artha, prayojan, means necessity. So this is a gradual process. Basically, we also try to make that point. So do not feel paranoid about getting as, as soon as possible to whatever. <laughs> this is a gradual process and it's necessary that we have to educate ourselves, to recognize ourselves, to get to know ourselves, even in our relative self, if you will, our non-self has to be also <laughs> acknowledged in order to integrate that in, in the devotional project. So it's a gradual process. And that will help a lot of a lot will be of help to, to, to be properly educated in Shastra, have properly proper association. It's a gradual process. As I like to say, no, the example for example sometimes the Kanishta Bhakta will see Shastra through the eyes of his emotions. While a Madhyam Bhakta will see his emotions through the eyes of Shastra. And the Uttam, Bhakta, the Uttam Bhakta's emotions are Shastra in itself. No. <laughs> So there is a place for each one of them, the point is. No, no matter whatever the stage you may be, there is a place for, for being who you are, where you are, but also there is a place for improvement. So it's, it's good to, that we remain aware of what's waiting for us in the next step and in the next step and so on. So some ideas as, as part of a summary from what we saw last week. And I think the idea today is to present uh, questions. So I don't know if some, some of you will present the questions. I'm seeing that in the chat there are like 10 messages, so I don't know how, how it works. I'm supposed to read the questions, someone will read them, or whatever. I'll kick it off, Marish. Jai Jagannath. I had a question last week. I think it's still appropriate. Mm. When you look at Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Jaiva Dharma, okay. his presentation of all the Raghunivasadakas, they're all quite renounced for the most part. And in the middle part where there's like Rajanath and Vijay Kumar, they're mm. like Grihastas. Mm. But their lifestyles are very atypical. Mm. Like they're not, certainly not the lifestyles we're living today, large, largely, where we're quite integrated into the social landscape of a very atheistic, secular, nonsensical world. <clears throat> they were very much like I mean, they, they struck me as like simple village types. And a lot they had a lot of time and just going here from Raghunath Das Babaji and just do the Christian conscious thing. Yeah, like, yeah, hey, I'm just going to go and, you know, party around for like 20, you know, 20 days or a few months and come back, work for a couple of days and go back to Raghunath Das Babaji. So that definitely, anyway, so that's kind of like the model of the Raghunath Sadhikas that we, we see and hear about. And in the verse, Seva Sadhaka <clears throat> we're told by Sri Vishwanath that we're to follow the exemplars, the, we're, we're to follow the Rajaloka and Gorlila, such as Rupa Goswami, which has always been like, um, that's going to be a little challenging for me, you know, Raghunath Das Goswami, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami. Of course, there are other, I, I guess there are other exemplars in Gorlila that did not believe, but. Maybe we're just not so familiar with their lifestyles. Anyway, 
<clears throat> so the question I had last week with this as like the background, my I forgot how exactly I phrased it, but I was kind of interested in like what are the pain points? That, I remember saying some language like this. What are the, you know, no, no pain, no gains. We have this little phrase which is used in terms of gaining material fitness. But in spiritual fitness, it seems applicable too, like as like a metaphysical statement. Like what are the pain points in terms of what we would have to really do with our lifestyle in order to harmonize it with our aspirations for attaining like a Raghunuga Sadhan um, uh, proper. You know, okay, we're a Jataruchi right now, but okay, as I'm a Jataruchi, what are the pain points that I have to cross through in order to gain the spiritual fitness to have a, yeah, come to Raghunuga Sadhana proper? Because I hardly, yeah, I can hardly be convinced, at least intellectually, that, yeah, we can just live our lives the way that we, we are now or we might be doing now, where we're really integrated with the secular world and even hope to aspire for such a thing and authenticity. So that was kind of my question. That was one of my questions hmm. from last week. Okay. I don't know if it's clear. I can yeah, summarize yeah. it in one sentence. No, no, it's, it's clear, of course. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's clear. Of course, there are many elements to, to unpack, but it's clear. So, yeah, as you mentioned, to begin with, Bhaktivinoda Thakur's narrative is quite... Uh, like ingrained in, in, in a particular social dynamics of the time and, and place, Deshi Kalapatra, uh, almost 200 years back. So it's something to consider <laughs> to begin with. And of course, it's beautiful. No? The, 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 this, this scenario he presents is idyllic. No? It's like bucolic. And you re- that's a, the whole idea, I think, of his narrative. You read that and you really want to be there. You really want to go there. It's basically a a vision of Nityanavadi, I would say, even though he's not presenting it as such in one sense, but basically it's, it's, it's that, no? this type of dynamics, simple dynamics, simple living, high thinking, if you will. <laughs> and yes, you can have your family there, but you can see there's a way of having your family, but at the same time, mainly everything is revolving around bhajan and hearing from sadhus, and, and that's a real priority, I mean, Bhagavad was trying to convey, this is possible. Of course, he himself exemplified that like, like anyone else. Not incredible example of being a, 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 a Paramahamsa Grihasa, if you will want to call it like that. No? But, but he's trying to, to show that window of opportunity. And there is a place like this. No? There is a... <laughs> And it's not only in Bhagavad Thakur's imagination, if you will. He himself showed that. And again, of course, we will see... Well, but I'm not Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Yeah, yeah, I, and I understand that. But at the same time, we need to have some, some uh, how to say, some high ideal. Because, if me, of course, if the ideal is immediate, and you hear that and say, oh, this is easy, I can attain that, that's immediately frustrating, basically. I mean, if you don't have anything difficult, you, you are frustrated. I remember myself, I, I was a musician for many years, uh, I suppose I still may be, I don't know, but before I was more officially identified as such. And there was, I mean, of course, I always felt the need of, of, of embracing more difficult tasks, because if not, I was totally frustrated. I, mean, I was thinking I'm losing my time doing always the same thing. I mean, it was boring to death. So maybe that goes hand in hand with your idea of no pain, no gain, basically. Now you need some 
challenging, but a healthy challenge. Because if it's too challenging, if it's impossible, you become discouraged. If it's easy, you become bored. bored. So difficult is the middle point. That's what I say always to devotees. Generally, sometimes we find something is difficult and we think this is an extreme. Oh, this is difficult. But difficult is not an extreme. Difficult is the middle path. <laughs> the extremes are easy and impossible. <laughs> the middle path is difficult. So you want to thread the, we want to thread the middle path to be balanced, to be equipoised. So that means to embrace difficulty. <laughs> And, and again, that goes with the idea of no pain, no gain. Shila, I, I, I was thinking when you say that about Srila Siddhar Maharaj's similar conception when he would say, in the beginning of the practice you will feel, oh, too much risk, no gain. Hmm. So you are more like keeping back. No, not wanting to take any step because you feel too much risk regarding all these uh, weird things that Swami is saying. I, I, I don't like that prospect. It's too risky, too unknown to jump into in, that, to make that quantum leap. So, too much risk and no gain. You, don't, you still don't connect, do not connect the idea of risk and gain. But Shila Semiraz Day, when you evolve a little bit, you will realize the more risk, the more gain. No pain, no gain. You start to get to the parallel with that. <laughs> and eventually, he said, when you advance even further and you may connect these three with in the general way, Kanista, Madhya, Uttam, he said, actually there was no risk, all gain. I, my, my only, my lack of uh, conception was perceiving risk. But actually there is no risk whatsoever. I'm only, I'm only projecting the risk because of fear. Still, still there is duality, still there is fear, still I perceive risk. But eventually there's nothing to lose, everything is to gain. But of course... <laughs> We have to walk the talk, and, and of course that implies entering into those shoes, and it's, yeah, it's a gradual process that may take some time. So, so yeah, you also mentioned this idea, okay, Bhaktinot Thakur is presenting this ideal stage, but we are not living there, we are not building in, in a Bengal village, and, and with hutch, uh, whatever, with your garden and one cow there, and you go and visit your guru every day, and have darshan, and remain four hours listening Harikata, and then whatever, milk your cow, and and whatever, do some <laughs> some bhiksha, you, know, you are madhupari and bumblebee here, bumblebee there, okay, next day and so on. <laughs> and we are a really in really complex dynamics in our postmodern secular society in the West. And I, I will say, of course, sometimes we will say, okay, but the power of bhakti is, is totally beyond that and, and, and we can be anywhere and, and, and we can transcend and purify everything and that's, that's true in potential but the point is, where are you to say that? I mean, you follow. Because if you are, of course, someone like Sila Prabhupada, yeah, no problem. Like when Prabhupada was living in Brindavan, some, some people living in Brindavan, quote-unquote, living in Brindavan, were telling him why you are living in Brindavan. But actually to say that those who were thinking in Brindavan that he was living in Brindavan, those people were not living in Brindavan. <laughs> Because they didn't understand he's not living Brindavan, but he's extending Brindavan wherever he's going. <laughs> because Brindavan is a state of consciousness, ultimately. But the point is, who can do that? Again, so we have also to be realistic. I mean, in which environment I am, which is my capacity to deal with the environment. And also to be committed, I'm choosing that, basically. Because, again, we can play the victim easily. No, Maharaj, I'm here living in whatever. 
no? in this big city and this and someone can say well you can go and live to in, in Eka Chakra basically <laughs> and of course you probably will say no and why not because I want this I want okay no problem no problem but there is a price to pay for that I mean it's, they are your choices and you basically have to become responsible for your choices it, it's like this sometimes so many devotees come sometimes not many so many but sometimes <laughs> And somehow behave uh, like complain, no? Maharaj this, Maharaj that, no? Generally, title Maharaj is like a, a dustbin for complaints, no? Maharaj this, Maharaj that, this is happening, this is happening, my life, my work, my wife, my kids. But basically, I mean, you make that choice. I remember once I was given a lecture <laughs> and I was speaking about some of the things, and at the end, one person spoke really fired up and told me, okay, you can say, say all the things. Because you are a monk, and you don't have to work, and you don't have children, and you don't have to deal with all the things that you have to deal, and he started to shout, like volume was going higher and higher. I say, and I have eight kids, and I don't have time for anything, and I have to work all day to feed them. And basically the reply that came to me after that said, but you chose to have eight kids. I mean, it's one of those eight times, hopefully, it was your conscious choice. Maybe not, but somehow or other, you chose that. So now walk the talk, embrace your commitment. And I told him, I had to, and I told him, of course, I, I haven't chosen to have kids, but do not think that by being a Swami, I am free from all responsibility. I actually, I have more non-biological children, more than the ones I could have biologically. So if I accepted sannyas only to avoid that commit that situation, I, I made it wrong, basically. <laughs> of course, that was not my intention. But my point was, no matter if you have eight children or you are a sannyasi, everyone has to deal with their own stuff, with their own choices. So I think that's a basic, simple point. But somehow we 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 miss that in, in the daily dynamics, in the practice. We tend to to play the victim and to point at society and the president and COVID or whatever. So many so-called problems that are outside there. And there are no problems, basically. Strictly speaking, there are no problems. That's a, the teaching of, 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 of Jada Bharat. You know, when he was about to be killed by the Kali worshippers, basically he was feeling, I'm surrounded by a friendly environment. <laughs> he, he didn't have anyone to blame, basically. Why are you being so rude? Why do you want to cut my head? Again, we can't imitate that, but he's showing... He's showing you have the potential to see things in that way. That's the very idea of Guru. Guru means your own potential appearing in front of you. That's what having a Guru implies. Having a Guru means you have a person that appears in front of you in your life and is showing all this you can become. So that's totally committing. That's not like a joke. It's not a cheap thing. <laughs> and to have that person every single day in your life reminding you through example, through, through words, all the potential, all the prospect you can attain. Now, that's really beautiful. I mean, that's committing, but that's beautiful. That's the point. When I say committing, when I say challenging, do not feel that as a, uh, like a <laughs> bitter pill to swallow. And if we feel that's a bitter pill to swallow, okay, that's the pain we have to embrace so we can have some gain, basically. Because whatever we may feel now as, as painful, Again, do not ascribe that to the, to the, to the practice, basically. And for example, if you start to go in detail through the six angas of Sharanagati, you may feel some pain in each one of them, progressively, more and more, who knows, in practice. 
<laughs> but it's not that saranagat in itself is intrinsically, inherently. No? Now that word are, is part of the nowadays dialogue. It's not intrinsically painful, basically. No? So if I feel pain when engaging in saranagati, actually saranagati is, is showing my own pain. There's no pain outside. I'm just feeling some pain. I have some pain in myself. And it may be painful to recognize that I have some pain in myself. Th- those are some of the most difficult things for, 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 for a person. To recognize to yourself those things that have to be upgraded, that still are painful, whatever. Embarrassing stuff may be there. So, so no pain, no gain. Yeah, and of course, that's a very general reply I'm giving because every single practitioner will have a very different... Uh, whatever. How do you say in English? Aquiles, heel. Aquiles, heel. Aquiles, you say in English? In Spanish, is talon de Aquiles. Someone speaks in Spanish can help me. Aquiles, Aquiles, heel. No? Some particular weakness in this life. You know, the, you get the idea. So you have to be introspective and, and yeah, feel, okay, what, what's, what's the, the painful thing for me? And again, not just run and embrace that in a like, okay, for the, for the sake of masochism or something, but if you know there's some challenge there, it's nice to, to go through that. That's a good way to feel. Which are the things that, that make me feel more out of the comfort zone? Okay, so I have some task there. I have some homework there. Because we are not to be complacent in bhakti. I mean, bhakti is not to, to run as quickly as possible to the comfort zone, basically. Of course, you can take that orientation, which is a more, I will say, <laughs> socio-religious orientation to Krishna consciousness. But we actually want the ego-effacing, mystical, experiential uh, approach to Krishna consciousness. At least that's what I want. <laughs> and, and of course, we can begin with the more socio-religious stuff. Like I remember it was nice that Madhavananda Prabhu was telling the other day we were sharing Harikata in, in Gambira. And we say, well, we are here in Puri. Um, Mahaprabhu's staying in Puri also represents different degrees of, of conception and, and, and advancement. Say, Jagannath Temple, Jagannath Mandir represents the, most, the more socio-religious meeting place, basically, for the crowds. <laughs> so he, he started there, if you will, the journey. But eventually, he entered into the Gambira more and more. And Gambira means gray, serious, deep. So he entered so much into the Gambira that his last 12 years, not, not, not more any one visit to the Jagannath Mandir, just trapped in the depths, <laughs> in the bottomless depths of, of the ocean of, of mystic experience and so on. So he's showing also, his Mahaprabhu is Krishna, he's Acharya Lila. So somehow he's showing also what, should, what we should do. And again, yes, yeah, he's a high example, Goswamis are high examples. But we need high examples. I mean, if we, want, if we don't want the high example, basically we may become mediocre. Mm-hmm. And there's hope, because it's a high example, we feel ourselves so far from that, but they are so merciful. Mm-hmm. When we really analyze the nature of the mercy that is coming through them to us, I mean, that's what Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami say when they met Mahaprabhu. Apanya Jogya Deki Shoba Tatapi no, they say, we are in front of you and we feel totally disqualified. And we feel the contrast of who you are and who we are. But at the same time, we perceive your attributes, your guna, your mercy, in this case, 
And we cannot but feel attracted and have so much hope. So that's this particular paradoxical experience of the sadaka. The boat is rocking, rock, rocking you say? In, in, the, in, those, in these two directions. Discouragement, hope. Discouragement, hope. No? I'm perceiving my loneliness, my, my, my patita, patitaness, <laughs> patitatwa, my falling condition, but hope. And, and, and at the end, of course, of the journey, hope will win. I always tell this to the devotees. Do not ever forget that even if you put all your anarthas together in one place, all of them condensed, compacted, all of them together are not ever, are, will, will never be more powerful than the mercy that is coming to you through Guru and Vaishnavas. So, that's our hope, basically. So, the rest is, well, each one has to take, again, uh, responsibility according to the choices each one is taking, where you choose to live, who you choose to surround by, and if the environment is affecting too much your Raga Nuga Bhakti project, you may, it may be a good invitation to be introspective, not to run away to somewhere else, but to be introspective about what to do. And sometimes the result may be, I have to move somewhere else. That, that may happen. Mahaprabhu had to, to move somewhere else, if you will, somehow. <laughs> so some, I remember once one devotee asked my Guru Maharaj, he was in Europe, and because of some job he had in another city, he had to move to another city, and he said, Guru Maharaj, now I have a nice job, and I'm earning nice money, but I don't have Sadhu Sangha here, and I'm feeling that my Shraddha is being damaged. I mean, I'm being affected in my pra- And my Guru Maharaj said, move to another city. <laughs> of course, I'm not saying everyone has to reply the same thing everywhere, but the point, you know, the gist of the idea was, I mean, there are priorities in life. So you, yes, you need job, house, and so on. We cannot sleep every night under a different tree like the Goswamis. If we don't know where we will, where will we sleep tonight, I'm sure you won't, you won't be now in the, listening to this kata normally. Your mind will be like, where will I sleep tonight, and so on. <laughs> but at the same time, there are priorities in life. So we have to have those, that list of priorities really, really established in our life and, and, and act accordingly. And I will say one more thing, sorry to extend myself, but it's always important to remain, at least for me, I will say, to remain under the, the, the close proximity of some sadhu that you are really working with in close proximity. So you have some eye, he, he or she has some eye on you, and there's some relationship, there's some exchange, and you are opening yourself for being corrected in a healthy way, of course. No? And sometimes that can happen with your Diksha Guru because of certain dynamics. Most of us are not living in the Guru Kul with the Guru and, and every single day sharing on a daily basis. So, of course, sometimes that will happen with the Diksha Guru and sometimes Krishna will, <laughs> of course, act through one's Guru in the distance and say whatever we needed to hear. But also it's nice to expose ourselves to certain relationships, at least one. I'm not saying 108 because this is not for the masses, hopefully you meet one of those persons <laughs> that you can really tear apart your chest no? in those moments and, and, and show all the most embarrassing things you have with you, confess the more unconfessable, I don't know if that word ever exists, but all the stuff in, the, in, that, in that context, in such a way that you are not being traumatized, but you are receiving so much, you feel yourself, I'm being hurt, I'm being understood, I'm being supported, and so much is coming from that exchange. This vulnerability is creating so much empowerment. 
but we are willing to change. We are willing to follow some discipline. That was what it means to be a disciple, basically. There's no discipline, there's no disciple. <laughs> the very word speaks about that. And this disi- discipline is not just military to-do list, no? But trying to swaha, trying to jump into the fire of sacrifice. And, the, and what has to enter into the fra- sacri- fire of sacrifice is our ego, basically. Comfort zone. In a gradual way, sustainable way, but the fire has to keep being, you have to keep pouring ghee in the fire, basically. <laughs> the fire has to remain. Now, I, I always like this notion when you go to these temples that they say, we have here this lamp or this fire that is burning for the last 500 years or something. And for me, that's a whole analogy that, yeah, that, that's, I should be keeping throwing, pouring ghee into the fire of surrender on a daily basis into my own life. I, do not, I don't have to forget to daily enter and visit that weird, dark zone, unknown corner of my heart. Because if, if I remain in the comfort zone, that, there won't be realization, there won't be insight. I mean, if in the comfort zone, there are not real realizations there. No. It, seems, it may seem so, but you need to go out of the comfort zone to have real insight. So in the beginning, it may be painful, it may be bitter, but in time again, the jaundice is being cured and you get a taste for it. <laughs> so some thoughts, again, it's a general reply, but I trust that each of you will apply these ab- abstract principles to your specific case. So I, I hope that helps. <clears throat> so I don't know, something else? Thank you, Marsh. Thank you. Another question? I don't know. I was wondering, since no one else is lying, I'm just going to still here. I was wondering if you could do a little bit more elaboration on your discussion on Anarthanavritti and your description. I also kind of had the realization of Anarthanavritti about three months ago. It's kind of like the like the healing of the schisms. So that I could move on to the you know platform of Nishta, which was <clears throat> at least for me, it was like kind of an interesting and beautiful insight at the time that I had it. And you were, you gave the example of that I don't know what it's called the Chinese thing, wherever something's broken, you just add the gold thing. So I was wondering if you can expand on that a little bit. Hmm. Like yeah, what does that mean for us? Because at least in my experience in Iskan, our approach to <laughs> I'm going to use this really cringy word, shadow work, <laughs> is, you know, it's been largely toward the side of like self-abnegation mm. uh, or sort of, yeah, kind of sweeping it under the rug until it just comes out and devours you. So I'm kind of interested on, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that present part of your presentation, uh, mm. sort of, yeah, an as a sort of healing so that you can not be sabotaged by whatever these inner demons and so on. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's a very huge topic that I personally feel that it's quite necessary to unfold and unpack its implications in many circles of, of the Gaudiya community because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, interestingly enough, Anarthani Vritti is not a practice in itself. It's not that you engage in an Arthanibriti. I mean, I'm doing an Arthanibriti. What does it mean? 
<laughs> so, anarthanibriti means the result of bhajan kriya in, a, in that particular stage. The prominent result of bhajan kriya in that particular stage is in anarthanibriti. Of course, after anarthanibriti, bhajan kriya continues, and anarthanibriti continues, but the most prominent result at those other stages is not anarthanibriti, because the main anarthas have been integrated. So then you have Nishta, Rucha, Sakti, Bhapri, and so on. So that's an important point because sometimes <laughs> even the devotees don't have a clear idea about that. No? I, I will do an Arthanibriti. What does it mean, basically? No? So actually, for me, an Arthanibriti is uh, to engage in Bhajana Kriya with the awareness that at this particular stage I am now, I have to deal with this considerable amount of stuff, if you will. Now we will speak about the stuff in itself. <laughs> but, but I will say that that was, it mean, that was it, what it means to engage, to do an Arthanibriti. It actually means I'm doing Bhajana Kriya, but I'm sincere enough to not expect through my Bhajana Kriya something to happen that corresponds with Ruchi or Asakti. <laughs> That's important for me because I'm seen so, I've seen so many devotees getting discouraged only because they are practicing but they are expecting the wrong things to happen. You follow? They are in Bhajana Kriya and Arthanibriti, but they are expecting that as a result of their japa, some bhava result will come, or some asakti symptom will come. Something that they, whatever, they read someone, Haridas Thakur and this and that, doing that. Okay, it's, it, it, it means I, it must happen to me. Like what you were saying before also, like, okay, we have Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, uh, we are to follow them. Yeah, we are to follow them. But as, as we always say, that doesn't, doesn't mean to imitate them. So in order not to imitate them, we have to know where they are, where I am, and what does it mean to follow them from where I am, where they are. They are. So, yeah, expecting the, the, the proper things is it's an important point. So it's, that's why it's, it's good to know what's the symptoms and the necessities of every stage. So you know what to expect and, and to know where you are for sure in all the map you know, because it's a whole journey. So sometimes, I will say, emphasize that enough because sometimes the devotees really are expecting whatever and even that expectation is, is a form of exploitation sometimes <laughs> because many times we want to feel things. You know? We want Krishna to make us feel stuff. We want the holy name to to allow us to relish it. <laughs> and subtly speaking, still it's a way of, I am the, ob- I am the Visaya Lambana, and, 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 and the Holy Name is there to pour on me, the center, certain ecstasy and certain experience, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not thinking, I want to make the Holy Name feel something. No? Because that's eventually the idea. I want to give, give some pleasure to them not make them give pleasure to me. I don't know what's pleasurable yet, so first I have to be educated in that direction. <laughs> I don't have a clear conception of pleasure, so how can I expect Srinam to give me pleasure? I don't have a clue what's pleasure. <laughs> so, again, I'm going maybe in a different direction, but one thing is connected to the other. So to, to, to acknowledge all things is part of the Narthanibriti also. To acknowledge our totally miss, miss, miss everything. <laughs> <laughs> misunderstanding, mis, mis-education of what to expect, how to conceive. No? It sounds simple, but again, in practice, it, it's important to understand. So, Anarthanibriti, again, is 
bhajana kriya with a particular focus. And what's that particular focus? Chetadarpanamarjanam, I will say. 99% of the sadhakas have to focus on that first line of sikshastakam, bas. <laughs> because again, Chetadarpanamarjanam, what does it mean? You have to clean the mirror of your chitta. And if you are to define chitta in contemporary terms, I will say the, the unconscious. No, in psychological terms, is the unconscious. So, Chetadarpana Marjana means embrace your unconscious, embrace your subconscious. That's the first, the first stage of chanting. That's an arthanibriti and bhajana kriya. So, the point is that's not a joke, that's not an easy game. <laughs> it's a glorious thing, for sure, it's heroic. But again, do not expect to go Bhava Mahadavagni Nirbhapanam. The next stage is. You are transcending the forest fire of samsara. I mean, that's not that's not cheap. <laughs> First, you have to do some homework, and all that has to do with with this anarthani breathe and bhajana kriya. So, anarthani breathe is my my particular daily devotional engagements are oriented to, with a particular sense of necessity. No, I, I know this is not the all in all because that danger is there. Prabhupada Siddhanta say, if you think this is all about anarthani vritti, you may end up in nirguna brahman because you will start feeling neti neti. This not, this not, this anartha, this anartha, and nothing positive to include. So he always emphasized there is something positive, always, always. Hmm? So, so for me, yes, anarthani vritti means to. And again, there are anarthas according to our Acharya still possibility of engaging in an artist still the stage in Baba. Although Baba is somehow hypothetically, I would say, but that's another conversation. But again, till advanced stages, there is somehow one anartha or another. We I don't think we have to go now to the different de- definitions, duskritota, sukritota, or how Bhaktivinotakor defines them. It's interesting, but <laughs> that will be a very long discussion. And, and the question is more to the gist of the spirit of, of, the, of the practice. So I will say, yeah, anarthani vritti means <laughs> I'm not over-identifying with my anarthas. And that's a, a very huge art, because you have to acknowledge them, and you don't have to identify with them. And you don't have to, to think of them while acknowledging them, to think of them, again, for me at least, in terms of kill them. They are against you. They are someone, basically. <laughs> because sometimes we, we may speak even about our mind in terms like there is someone else there. And I understand Raghunath Das Goswami is presenting his poetry, Manasik, and so many others, like speaking to the mind in, in, in third person, like trying to convey a point. But strictly speaking, the mind is not someone else. Hmm. So it's inert psychic matter. So... Uh, I say this because, again, sometimes when you start to realize, because sometimes you say, oh, my mind is killing me. So, very, in a subtle way, you are just trying to avoid responsibility. And the mind is killing you, or you are such a poor fellow that is being killed by his mind. But it's like if I ate, I don't know, one kg of chocolate ice cream, and I say, my stomach is killing me. And I say, no, you are killing your stomach, basically. I mean, you are killing your stomach. And basically... Your mind is the stomach of your psychic body, basically. So if you tell your, your 
I'm reading some of the commentaries. Sorry, Oshbal, with all affection, that was. That was that's part of your Anathani Vritti, so I, I trust you will embrace them. So, as you will give, a, you will pour one kg of chocolate ash cream in your stomach, and you are killing your stomach and not vice versa. Mind is your stomach of your subtle psychic body. So, if your mind is crazy, that's only speaking about how you are feeding your mind. It's not speaking about someone else killing you. It's speaking about what you are, what's the input you are allowing through your senses into your mind. <laughs> and that creates the whole rest of the thing. So, as you can see, all this really requires to take the reins of the stuff and to become responsible and serious. So, for, for me, that's Bhajan Kriya and Anarthani Vritti. You know, it's like a very sincere, committed acknowledgement of whatever is there. Anarthas is, are there not because someone put them there. There's nobody else to fault for whatever Anarthas are there and whatever Anarthani Vritti, Anarthani Vritti I have to engage in, if you will. But it, they have been my choice. This lifetime, previous lifetime. And no problem, again. It's not about also getting discouraged yourself or starting to torture yourself. But it's not about pointing to others and playing the victim. It's just about being, making some objective uh, uh, statement. Like, this is like this, and I take full responsibility. I don't want to play the victim. And at the same time, so much mercy is coming, so I cannot feel really fully discouraged. Because if I really feel discouraged... Oh, sorry, I'm killing, really killing many of you for the comments they are putting. Sorry, Dev Madhava. <laughs> but that's part of my seva, sorry. That, that's one of the prizes of being a sannyasi, what to do. <laughs> so, what I was saying, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I would say so much mercy is coming to our life hmm, that if we over-identify with our anarthas, and get discouraged by them, basically we are being ungrateful with the gift we are receiving. Because the mercy is coming and the mercy is so, so generous, so deep, so embraced, so all-pervading, that in instead of developing hope and joy because of that mercy that's still knocking on our door, we over-identify with our anarthas and concentrate in that direction and go deeper and deeper into the dark world, you know. <laughs> it's a way of not being grateful, again, and, I don't, and with this I don't want to make you feel made to blame or, or like this, but it's just about realizing I have so much positive content invading my life. I mean, try to realize this is not, true. This is not an exaggeration, artabat, this is the fact. So whenever our attention goes in the direction of our anarthas, our non-self, our false values basically, try to Look in the, pro in the horizon of Paramartha, of the real value. Because Anartha basically means that. It's like a, how do you say in English? Like um, counterfeit, counterfeit money. Hmm? Like you, at one point, you don't know it's counterfeit. You think this is real cash. And you develop a whole, you are walking in the street and you find like $100 bill. And you, it, but it's counterfeit, but you don't know. So you start to realize so much hope. Oh, I will do with this, I will buy this, and I will get this, and I will enjoy it. And you go to the shop and you give the counterfeit, and they say, this counterfeit, call the police after five minutes, you are behind the, the, job, the, the jail. No? So five minutes before, you were in ecstasy with all the prospect you will experience, and eventually you are, oh my God, what happened here? <laughs> because you invested a false sense of value 
in a direction that there was not that value. So basically that means uh, anartha, I will say, no? instead of trying to demonize, if you will. I, I mean, I understand why Bhakti Thakur chose to uh, connect the demons in Krishna Lila with some anarthas, but also we are to keep, uh, how to say, those analogies updated according to the times and the language we are living in. No? And of course I, I still like those examples for sure. <laughs> But we, we need how to deal uh, with this in, in a constructive way. So, again, yes, I, I really like the idea of whatever I, an artist I have, they are there to teach me something. I mean, they really want to teach me something. They have the potential, again, of becoming my best friend. It's just some mis, misguided energy, mis, some energy I have, some potential I have, that I have not yet learned how to express it in the most virtuous way. But if I learn how to do so, I mean, that, that's energy. We can speak in terms of energy, if you will. No? Wrath, anger is energy. It's like a huge snowball of energy. You can burn a whole neighborhood, if you will. It's energy. And if you channel that energy in a particular direction, I mean, that's what our chair have said in many cases. No? You come across the loba and so on. You can channel this in this way, in this way, in this way. Hmm? For example, once Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta said, anger has to be channeled in the service of Krishna. Someone asked how to do that. So he said, you have to channel that, use your anger against the enemies of Krishna. So every devotee was started to develop their own notion, what does it mean? No? <laughs> Thinking, okay, tomorrow we will go to the Maya bodies and we will burn their ashram and to the Sahajas will be thrown out of town or who knows what, no? And Prabhupada could kind could perceive you know, where their minds were going, you know, in the direction of the enemies are outside. So he said, yeah, yes, the anger has to be used against the enemies of Krishna. First we have to ask ourselves, I'm not an enemy of Krishna still? Like in plain, there are not in me tendencies that go against Krishna's merciful will. Yes, if that's so, they have to be use anger against them. But again, what does it mean, anger against them? I have to be, to discipline myself, basically. What Sila Prabhupada said, you have to be strict with yourself, hmm, and you have to be uh, compassionate with others. Hmm. That has a lot of implication. What does it mean, strict with yourself, and compassionate with others? For me, I like the, the point that first it comes strict with yourself. And the more, and a strict again, doesn't mean torture yourself, be dysfunctional, be paranoid, <laughs> but be sincere, serious, and disciplined. Because life is a serious game. It's a game, but it's a serious one. Shristi Lila. <laughs> so, the more you are disciplined towards yourself, the more you can be compassionate with others. I, I will connect one thing with the other. If you are not strict with yourself, you cannot have real compassion to any, towards anyone. You will be just sentimental. Real compassion will stem from real seriousness with yourself with your own integrity and authenticity. So, so yeah, all that comes from an art and liberty. I personally can tell you that those things that are most difficult in my life that I really know, okay, in this lifetime, I will concentrate to try to integrate this particular anartha. If I get to do that in this lifetime, my lifetime is a success. <laughs> No? And next lifetime we'll continue the list, let's see. No? Because again, no rush. Of course, at the same time, no complacency, some balance there. But some, some of our artists, we may really feel these are powerful stuff. So 
lifetimes of ingraining them. So, okay? Take, take the time you need and learn in the process of that. So that will be a long lesson. And so many nice insights will come by dealing with that in a proper way. But again, it's not just kicking the stuff out no? or putting that below the carpet. <laughs> but again, transforming the so-called enemies into friends, channeling that energy, snowball energy into something that is creative, if you will. Mm. So, and personally, I find that's the most, uh, the most powerful way to, to go through this in Artha Nibriti, basically. Mm. And to really get rid, if you will, get rid, quote-unquote, of those anarthas. It's not so much about get out, get out, get out, but acknowledging them, embracing them, learning from them, and, and, and when you want to realize, they are your friends now. So there's no need to, <laughs> to kick anyone out, basically. That, those are the insects of the great personalities. No? They see Krishna everywhere. There are no enemies. There's nothing to kick out anywhere. Everything is perfectly integrated. No? <clears throat> okay. Thank you, Maharaj. Um, Ananda Marai had a question, I think. I think Harishan has something. Okay. Hi, Krishna Maharaj. Thank Hare you so much. Jai. Be careful, you are driving. So. Yes. <laughs> Can you hear me fine? Yes, yes. Okay. So, I, I think you, you've, you've spoken to this, and, and so this is somewhat of a clarification for myself. Um, you mentioned in the kind of your preamble summary of our last discussion <clears throat> how powerful it is to set the goal. Like, to set such a goal as I want to be in Vrindavan. Yeah. And... My question and kind of where I'm looking for some clarity is um, at what stage, like, so we've been talking a lot about Anartha Navriti today. So within the stage of Anartha Navriti, um, I'm assuming, like, how permissible is it to define that goal and to what detail of, of <clears throat> description? Ah, ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and that takes me to the idea of what I like to always mention. Because when we speak about goals, we may also fall into black and white thinking. And that may go against our goals. <laughs> so it's important also to establish what I will call short-term goals, middle-term goals, and long-term goals. And, and properly establish each one in the proper category. Because if not, a problem will come. So again, maybe short-term goal is I need to solve this whatever financial or emotional issue that I have in my life that is really affecting me and I need to do something about it, whatever. You, something that you know is not the all in all, but you have to do something with it now. And maybe middle term goal will be something, of course, further than that. I have to achieve nishta with all that it implies. And yes, long term goal, we know, at least in theory, which is the converging point of our practice. But it's important to have a, a, a clear list of short, middle, and long-term goals and not to mistake them in one category or the other because that may create some anxiety. So, going back to your question, yes, I mentioned how powerful it is uh, to develop this hope and to... Yeah, yeah. Prabhupada Saraswati Thakur says that very nicely. He's rather asked to the need. He speaks about he, one nice prayer when he says, if I can only die with this hope... Of course, he's speaking there in terms of Radha Dasham. But if I, even if I cannot attain that, he's speaking, of course, in, in, in Sadaka Vesh, imbued in the spirit of a Sadaka. Some other verses he will speak more in, in, in the mood of her Hisida Swarup. 
But if I cannot get that goal that I, I cherish so much, at least let me die while having the hope of attaining that. If I can die by having that hope, that's it. That's okay. Because I have the hope and the, and the hope will be properly have a good foundation. It's not just my imagination, but it's a realistic hope. And that realistic hope will take me eventually to the goal. Now, this very nice story, let me share that with you, and I'm just going back to fully reply the last part of your question. You may know it, so I'll make it brief. It's narrated in Chaitanya Bhagavat and Mukunda, the, the famous Kirtaniya, who is Brindadev in Krishna Lila, but in Gaur Lila is Kirtaniya singing for Mahaprabhu. Uh, some, somehow he that did something that displeased Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu forbidden, for, forbade, forbade him to to have his darshan. He was having Mahaprabhu's darshan on a daily basis. So he was not allowed to see Mahaprabhu. You can imagine what does it mean. I mean, you can imagine what does it mean to see Mahaprabhu and then think what does it mean to stop thing, seeing Mahaprabhu. <laughs> to, to have direct darshan of Bhagavan and what does it mean to stop having that darshan. You are thrown into a pool of tears and desperation. So Mukunda was just thinking, when I will see my Prabhu again? That's the only question I have in mind. So he was fasting and almost dying in separation. The life breath was just one little line there. So and Mahaprabhu wanted to make a point with this, of course, as we all see. And the associate went on a daily basis to visit Mukunda because they were feeling, fearing he will die. And, and they were associated with him and so on. So one day Mukunda asked him, can you ask something to our Prabhu? Yes. Please ask him when he will give me his darshan again. So he was practically dying at that point. So the devotees go to Sriman Mahaprabhu and they ask him, Mukunda, we want to see Mukunda. And Mahaprabhu was like, what does he want? Oh, like serious. <laughs> and the devotees were like, oof. And he asks you when you will bestow on him your darshan again. And Mahaprabhu said, in one million lifetimes. He said that serious and looking into another direction. One million, one million lifetimes. So the devotees were like devastated, thinking, we will kill Mukunda by saying that. So who will kill Mukunda? Who will tell him the, the reply? <laughs> because he's just living to hear the reply. So on the way back, they were asking, you kill him, you kill him, basically. <laughs> you replied to him because, I mean, nobody wanted to, to kill him. They were thinking he will die by hearing such a reply. One million lifetimes. He's just dying for one minute of separation. So they, were, they go and they say to Mukunda, we, we, we saw Prabhu, so what did he say? And they were started like, okay, and someone took courage and opened his mouth and said, he said that he will give you darshan in one million lifetimes. So everyone was expecting the worst at that time. They were just prepared for all the Samadhi ceremony and Tirubhav Mahotsav, if you will. <laughs> but suddenly Mukunda starts to jump and dance and celebrate and sing ecstatically. So nobody understood what's going on here. Maybe he has some ear problem and heard something else. He heard maybe one million nanoseconds or something like that. <laughs> so they, rep they went again and said, no, 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 one million lifetimes. One million lifetimes. And he said, yeah, yes. I heard properly. And he said, but what, what is one million lifetimes if that's the price I have to pay for having the darshan of my Prabhu? That's nothing. I mean, if, if you really understand what does it mean to have the personal association of Mahaprabhu, one million lifetimes will be an embarrassing price to pay, <laughs> basically. 
So in, from that place, of course, he, he danced and celebrated. <clears throat> and of course, Mahaprabhu was waiting for Mukunda's reaction. So the devotees returned and told him, he started to celebrate when you say one million lifetimes. Mahaprabhu said, bring him immediately. The million lifetimes are over. Mahaprabhu is Kaloshmi. He's timed himself. So he made one million lifetimes into one second. <laughs> so the, but that's the teaching, basically. No? If you have real hope, no problem. Real hope can help you to endure so many things. And so on. Bhagavatam gives that example. So, going back to your question for a minute in connection with that, when you start to have a more specific, clear glimpse about the ultimate goal to attain and maybe some hope in connection to that, well, I will say that, of course, in theory, you may, you may have an idea, a general idea. Of course, from day one, we have a general idea what's the goal of Raga, Raga Bhakti, but in a general way, Krishna, Vrindavan, something like this. But... Yeah, in time, everything has to become more specific, as we spoke the other day. And I will say that that specificity may appear at some advanced stage of anarthani Britain Bhajan Kriya. On some level, you may have some affinity that you are confirming with your gurus, and that may be legal, if you will, that may be realistic. It's not that you need to reach a Sakti or Baba or something. You can have some affinity, because again... I'm sorry to repeat myself, but Bhakti is not inherent. <laughs> so, according to the association you are having, you will receive Bhakti some scars in a particular direction. So, it's natural that if your Gurudev or your main Guru figure, because it may be Diksha Guru, it may be Siksha Guru, whoever is helping you the most, as Silasimara said, uh, that influence will be the most prominent and the one that will create your eventual affinity. Unless, uh, 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 or other, maybe you had some Bhakti Samskar from previous lifetime, that's another story. But the point is, that's, that will be the natural outcome. So if at some point that comes, due to some intense association with sadhus, uh, that can happen, an Arthanibriti, Bhajanakriya, not in the very beginning of that, because you need some of that stuff to be properly, again, integrated, to have a clear picture of what's beyond that. But in Nishta, I will say that's, that's clearly seen. My Guru Maharaj likes to, to illustrate this journey. Like, if you are going up into a mountain, and that means Anarthani, Britain, Bhajan, Kriya, no? the, the, the way is up. No? So it takes some effort. You are not going down. You are going, walking up. But when you reach the top of the mountain, that means Nishta. And that means on the top of the mountain, you can see what's on the other side of the mountain. On the other side, you find the, the Bali, the Bali of divine love waiting for you. You have a clear picture of what's that. And the rest of the journey is down. You can go quickly. You, you, the, the very path will take you at full speed, basically. And so Nishta means you reach the top of the mountain and you have a clear glimpse clearly was there. But before reaching the top of the mountain, you may have some, some, some notion also, some affinity. So, but of course, when you reach that top, that's another thing, and eventually more and more your bhajan will be more and more uh, fueled by that affinity. Again, in the beginning, the bhajan will be more fueled by Chetudarpana Marjanam. <laughs> but eventually the bhajan will be fueled by some other thing. Because the Chetudarpana Marjanam has been integrated. So that's why Mahaprabhu in that first verse mentions seven results of Sri Harinam. And the first one is Chetudarpana Marjanam. And all of them correspond 
with all these stage, stages of bhakti. Yeah. <clears throat> Jai Hari Shamji. Arj, um, thank you so much for uh, explaining the. Um, thank you so much for this point about how when we go through arts and everything, we shouldn't expect something that is not the result of arts and everything. That was really quite profound. Mm. And I'm gonna try to see if I can put my question into words. It's a, it's a little hard because I'm like, it's something I'm experiencing now as I go through my life. But my observation is, is that there's the anartha itself, and there's the symptom of that anartha. And generally, in my own conscious life, I focus more on the symptom than the anartha itself. So to go back to your example, if we were all living under trees, we probably would not be sitting here, you know, discussing Harikatha. So then, the worry, where will I live, that might be the symptom of a deeper anartha, that I don't feel the shelter of Krishna, or that I have a fear of not being maintained in the material world, something like that, you know. So, one, one conception that I always carried that came to the surface when you were speaking was, in my mind, I was thinking, anartha nirvriti happens by doing my sadhana, but then I have to kind of work through my anartha, like I have to figure out what is the root anartha that I'm trying to dissolve. You know, that you said 99% sadhana, so in my head, I've been thinking for some time that, you know, the way the mechanics work is that, yes, I chant, I read, I associate with devotees, and that'll increase my attraction for Krishna, but then the way the anarthas will go away, at least the deeper ones, that I have to let go of them myself by going to the root of what the anartha is. But the question I'm having now is, is that how it works? Or, or, or you don't have to know what are the deeper anarthas that, whose symptoms we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Rather, you try to improve your hearing and chanting, and then automatically both the symptom and the, the deep anartha both will simultaneously go away. Mm-hmm. Or, or does some sort of simultaneous attraction towards Krishna have to happen that counterbalance with like some deep analysis of the self and trying to understand what is my root and art and sort of release it from within your heart which I don't even know what that sound what that what that means I haven't done such deep kind of work but I'm just curious can you can this does the context make sense yeah yeah hmm well I will say it's important to have certain intention in one's practice. No, I, I, I don't think it's healthy to, to have a, like too much automatic uh, conception of how the practice should work. Like, by doing this, this will happen. By doing this, this will happen. Yes, but what does it mean doing this? Because you say, by chanting, this will happen. Yes, but how? How you chant? And there's a way to chant for that to happen. There's a way to relate with the sadhus for that to happen. It's not just doing the stuff. And of course, that's in the very definition of our notion of bhakti. One of the, I would say, the most important word in the whole definition of Rupa Goswami is Anukulena. Anukulena Krishna Bhakti So Anukul means favorable, with a favorable intention. The very beginning of Saranagati, Anukulyas Sankalpa Pratikulyasa Varjanam. Try to accept what's favorable for Krishna, bhakti, reject that which is unfavorable, but also means with intention of that. No, not just getting the least. What's favorable, what's unfavorable, okay. I do whatever I have to do, I don't do... No, it's, there's some intention, ideally. In, in a gradual way, again, Rupa Goswami will say, try to offer to Krishna those things that he liked the most, but if that's too difficult yet for you, he says, basically, <laughs> okay, offer your pizza to him, basically, he will say. <laughs> because 
it's, it's your favorite thing. So you will connect emotionally with that thing that you feel is your favorite. So somehow there will be some emotional investment in something that Krishna will be included in. So you will be, make Krishna part of something that is making you vibrate on some level. Again, it's not the ultimate goal, <laughs> but we have to begin somewhere. But eventually I, I will emphasize this idea of, of intentionality, if that's where it exists at all. Because, uh, going back to your question, of course, we have, there's many anarthas, if you want to summarize the root cause of them, we could say abhidya, anadi abhidya, that's what Shastra says. <clears throat> Technically speaking, we could say there are not many problems, all the, the whole world is speaking about many problems, problems here, problems there, only one problem, everything, is a, everything else is a symptom of the problem, and the only problem is abhidya, if you want like, to be reductionist, if you will, and concentrate in that point, and how many symptoms that's creating. Uh, and of course, I mentioned, ideally, Chetudarpanamarjanam, try to embrace your subconscious, <laughs> and I know that's not, that's not an easy thing to do, and, and we may not be able to, that's, this is my point, so many things are there in the subconscious, and we may try to connect with that dark platform, if you will, unknown shadow, as much as we can. And we try to work on that, and we may need to do so. But also, we may be practicing, and we, through the practice, we are purifying ourselves from so many unconscious layers that we are not even aware they are there. Also, that's happening. But I will say, that's not an excuse <laughs> to say, oh no, that's happening, so I don't need to, to think about that stuff and to try to be introspective, because I'm just chanting and I know that magically everything will, will be purified eventually. Mm, I will say, of course, something is happening, even if you're chanting not very, very de deeply, but we want to do things as in the best possible way we, we want. It's not that we want, I mean, our learning, our lesson from Ajamila is not, okay, let's chant Namabas. That's all. Why, why Sudanam? Let's chant Namabas and we have a cool darshan of the Vishnu Dutas. <laughs> or something like that. That's not the teaching of the Bhagavatam. That's kind of, they are resorting to Kaimutya Nyaya, no? which is what if. No? No? If this is by, this, if such a degree of result comes by Nama Bas, what if you chant properly? So that's what we want to embrace. So in the same way, I will say, of course, we have faith in the practice. And we have faith, and, and of course, we have to properly uh, develop that faith because there is some initial faith. Mm, Lokik is Shraddha, mm, but the faith has to become strengthened. Nishta means faith also, but it's strong faith. Mm. Shastriya Shraddha means scriptural faith. That's how faith will be strengthened, by developing our convictions on the basis of revelation. Mm. Sometimes when I quote Shastra, people get disturbed. <laughs> and they feel I'm attacking their faith. So for me it's funny, because I feel if your faith feels attacked by me quoting Shastra, which type of faith do you have? Or which type of faith do you want to have? Because ideally our faith is Shastriya Shraddha, which means my faith has to be nourished by Shraddha, by, by Shastra. But if I hear Shastra and my faith feels attacked, that means you don't want to have Shastriya Shraddha. So that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> so, so, so it's important to understand this point. Okay, we have faith in the process, in the name, and Sri Guru, in everything. But that's a level of faith that needs to be upgraded by proper 
education and, and, and service attitude and so on. So, and, and again, there has to be an intentionality. We have to be, have the intention of growing in our faith. Our, we have to have an intention of, of getting closer to all that three Guru is about. Again, it's not just mechanical. I accepted my Gurudev, he's a pure devotee, so I have my ticket, return ticket to Golok, and everything is warranted, so I just remain whatever. <laughs> As we spoke, I think, last, some weeks ago in a Q&A session, I mean, if you don't really want to go, I don't know, to Golok, Brindal, and Tunisia now with, with all yourself, you won't go there. I mean, Krishna is not that cruel to send you to a place that you don't want to go. So you have to have your, your conviction and your own individuality have to be totally immersed and consumed by that desire to the point that that's the only thing you want. And there you will be there even in, in this lifetime, in this world, whatever. It's not that at the end of my life I still not con- be so convinced. I have some faith, I like chanting, but, but at the end of my life some Vishnu does come and throw me into Golok. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you have to really want to be there and when you really want to be there you are there no matter where you are so we have to to, to, to have the intention of growing in those directions it's, you have to invest our individuality basically that's the point you are an individual with thoughts with will with agency so we have to do something that's our offering I will say my agency is my offering <laughs> And how, how, how much intentionality is put into whatever I'm doing. My agency is what I'm really trying to make an, a tasteful offering to my Istadev, to my Prabhus. Not just doing the stuff. Now, it's not that oh, I'm Gurudev and chanting my 16 rounds. So I'm, I'm blessed by you. I'm sure I'm receiving the mercy. For sure, but that can be also complacency. How you're chanting, basically. That that's important. How how how? That's the main. Sorry. Thing. Sorry. Yeah. Who was speaking? No, please go ahead. Finish your thought. I thought you. I thought you'd finish your thought. Sorry, Sham. I thought you'd finish your thought. But please go ahead, Marsh. Complete your thought. No, but basically, uh, that's the idea. You know that. Of course, the process is clean. So many things we cannot even conceive how much uh, anarthas are being cleansed without ourselves being aware of that. That may be overwhelming even, to be aware of that. <laughs> so Krishna keeps that in the unknown realm. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to be introspective as much as we can. So again, that's what my point is with intentionality. I have my will, I have my agency, I have some capacity to choose to go in this direction. I may not have full capacity, but I have some capacity. So what I'm doing with that? I'll try to be introspective. I may not reach the fullest depths of my subconscious and get to acknowledge and integrate every single spot, but I can do something in that direction. I can do some effort. Again, there's mercy coming. Our process is mostly based on mercy, but there's some effort we have to do also to attract mercy. My Guru Maharaj will say, we are to make sacrifice in order to attract mercy. That's how it works. The two things are there. Like if you fall into a, a, a hole and you break your leg, you cannot go out from the hole by yourself. You need someone else to help you. You need mercy. But you, you have to do something yourself. You have to shout, help, I'm, I'm dying, I fell. So that's your part. Someone else will come, bring the rope, throw the rope, make all the effort to take you out. But you have to do something else. Take the rope. It's, it's not too much in comparison, but it's your part. <laughs> and when you are being saved, maybe there is some bee, bee hype there in the middle. You say, oh, there are some bees, they will bite me. 
the person will say, no problem, let them bite you, I'm saving you. <laughs> and eventually the person took you out of the hole, and you won't say to the person, did you see how nicely I, I, I hold to the rope? You won't say that. <laughs> no, you will say, you saved my life, thank you. But you had to do your part also. So again, for us, so much mercy is coming. The, the, the rope had been thrown from Golok, Goloker, Prima, Damarin, Ams, and Kirtan. But we are to take the rope and, 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 and in a particular way and not leave that holding of the rope and conduct ourselves in a particular way, trusting in the person who is taking us out of the hole to continue with the analogy. <laughs> so as much as we can, we have to do some effort. My Guru Maharaj will say, try to do effort as if all the success depends on your effort, but knowing that actually the main success will depend on mercy. Something like that. So, so, so yeah, try to, to we have to, to be introspective as much as we can, but still so much is coming from, from, from a plane that we are not even aware of, but we are being saved and purified and rescued from so many holes, <laughs> even we are not aware. So we, we should remain grateful for, for all those moments. Krishna is humble also in his saving us. <laughs> He's not necessarily throwing your face, look all that I'm doing for you and so on. But we should do some effort to acknowledge that also. <laughs> okay. You, all right, yeah. thank you so much for this answer. So just, just so I, in one sentence, just to see if I understand the, the heart of what you're trying to convey, is that we have this... Um, we have this agency, we have, we have the ability to do something, to think, to contemplate, to reflect. Yeah. And let's say, like that's represented by like a pie, 100%, then maybe 80% of that should be devoted to creating and cultivating our intentionality. And the other 20, 15, 25% can go towards like introspection, thinking about our anarthas, trying not to come under the control of these things. But the bulk of our agency, the bulk of our ability to think, reflect, whatever, whatever, should be devoted to cultivating our intentionality because that would sort of be what sort of pulls us through the, the, the thick yeah. quicksand. Uh, uh, under, would you say, is, that, is that sort of accurate? But, but, but they are connected to each other, no? We shouldn't see that one percentage and the yeah. other is going in different direction, but actually they are working mm. together for the same project, if you will, no? So, yeah. again, that's a way of integrating, not creating this dichotomy and duality in your own mind of, okay, I'm doing this here and now I'm doing this, but there are different expressions, different facets of the same shul, if you will. Got it. Thanks, Google. Thank you, Marsh. <clears throat> Tamir has, has a question also. Who, sorry? Tamir, I think he had a question. Hmm. Yeah, thank you, Maharaj. Uh, so, Maharaj, I was, uh, you mentioned many times that our Siddha Raga Mark. Uh, so I was thinking on that, uh, generally three types of conceptions come. So uh, one type of conception may be that, okay, I keep on doing what I am doing and then one day I will suddenly uh, go from Vaidhi to Raga. That's one kind of conception. And the second is that, okay, maybe I am actually doing Raga, but I don't know. So somebody has to come and tell me that actually you are doing Raga, but you are not knowing. And the third will be that, okay, I am doing hearing and chanting and somebody says that from tomorrow onward you start doing A, B and C and now you are doing Raga Bhakti. Hmm. So, so how, how do I know like uh, where I am and uh, if I am really doing Raga or from tomorrow morning if I start doing this then I will be doing Raga or 
I just keep on doing what I am doing and suddenly one day I will suddenly go into uh, practicing Raga. Hmm. Well, of course I don't know you, so I don't know your particular situation. <laughs> But in general terms I will say, as I mentioned already, in one very generous way we are doing Raga from day one, Raga Bhakti. Uh, without knowing ourselves maybe that what's Raga Bhakti about, but by the fact of being connected with a lineage whose ideal uh, is a result of practicing Raga Bhakti and whose ideals are personifications of that Raga Bhakti, Ragatmikas, uh, somehow that current is coming to us when, when we start to get in touch with, with the Vaishnav. So in, in that sense, very generously, we are part of the Raga Marg Sampradaya from day one. Even though we don't have a clue about that <laughs> in theory, but we are being. But that's how it works. I mean, jadrit chaya. I mean, it comes out of its own volition, and suddenly we find ourselves jumping and singing in the kirtan, and you say, "How this did this, this happen?" Basically, <laughs> but you feel, "But I want to continue here." No? Suddenly, you were in the fold of bhakti. So, I would say that's mostly the the situation, and eventually, by proper guidance and by proper sangha one becomes aware of that and one becomes aware of what's expected from a raga nuga sadaka in its different stages and how to deal that with all the stuff that we have to deal as well as we were mentioning trying to integrate that i wouldn't say just you practice whatever if you want to think in terms by the bhakti and someday you will be practicing raga bhakti it doesn't work like that Because again, from day one, we are practicing some form of Raga Bhakti, although it may be predominated by some form of Bhaiti, if you will. <laughs> But it's not Bhaiti Bhakti, strictly speaking, in every sense of the term. And, and again, as I mentioned before, there has to be intentionality. So it's not that you mechanically engage in something and suddenly that took you to something else without wanting to do that, without knowing what's that about, without having intention. To, to engage in that. So, intentionality is all. As you will see when you study this section of Raghavarma Chandrika that I told you, Vishwanachakavarta Thakur says that. He said, You may begin connected with the Raga Mark Sampradaya and you continue practicing, but if in time, in time, not first days, but if in time, when, we are, when you are supposed to embrace the Raga Marga more comprehensively, instead of that, you remain attached to some elements of Vaidhi, if you will, that were there from the beginning, and now it's time to leave them out, if you will. If you do not do that, if you do not have that intention, if you will, you invest your will in that direction, you will end somewhere else. You won't end in Golok Vrindavan, he says. So he makes this point clear. I mean, you have to decide for yourself what to do in order for this to happen. If you just continue like following the motions, You may be ending, ending somewhere else. That can happen also, for sure. <laughs> so, so there is a point for us to invest our... And I know that's more challenging. Sometimes it's easier to think, I don't do anything. You tell me what to do and I do that and I let myself be carried by the waves and I end up in whatever shore I'm taking to. But at some point, in the beginning it may be a little bit like that. But at some point we have to grow and really make proper intelligent choices, conscious, aware choices in, in one direction, in another. Devotional choices, that's an interesting whole chapter. In one stage where our idea of making choices had more to do with what will I study, what will I work, how do I deal again with this 
an art or something. <laughs> but eventually the choices and our will starts to express in, in another level. No? No, how, to, how do I embrace my bhajan in such a way that it nourishes this particular affinity? How do I approach uh, my chanting or my connection with this sadhu in such a way that it will cre- point into this particular result I want to attain? It will become more and more specific. So that's an interesting chapter altogether for sure. Something like that. Okay, Maharaj. Uh, just to repeat, if I understood correctly. So, uh, does it mean that in the beginning we are doing chanting Hare Krishna and studying Srimad Bhagavatam and that uh, gives us uh, like some some idea and some knowledge and uh, once we are on some level, then uh, we can study other books like Raghavata, Chantrika. Like once we have gained some knowledge of Srimad Bhagavatam and then that will reveal to us the more... Yeah, of course. And of course, we can continue studying Srimad Bhagavatam. Nityam Bhagavata Sivaya. Pivata Bhagavatam Rasamalaya. And so on. The Bhagavatam itself is saying, this is an eternal post-liberated affair. There is no end to, to the Bhagavatam. So many commentaries are there and so many levels of, of the Bhagavatam. And, and, and it's important to understand all these other books are actually extensions of the Bhagavatam. All the books of the Goswamis are non-different from the Bhagavatam. Because, I mean, what's the Bhagavatam, basically? It's the, the, lops, the life story of Krishna, ultimately. That's our, the converging point of the Bhagavatam. So it, there's no end to that, basically. If you study, I don't know, Gopal Shampu by Jiva Goswami or something, I mean, you feel this is the Bhagavatam also. There's no difference. I mean, this is a, a continuation, an extension of the Bhagavatam. You read the commentaries of Bishwanath Chakravarti Thakur to the Bhagavatam, and he makes all these in-between dialogues between the members of the particular lila. And this is part of that as well. So, so we can continue to study the Bhagavatam forever. But again, these other books help to like, go deep into our approach to the Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam remains at the Grand Taraj for us, the topmost um, Shastra Praman for us Gaudians. But all the books that come after are like an afterthought, if you will, on the Bhagavatam. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Brihad Bhagavatam, Brita. Satsandharva, Gopal Shampu, all this Amrita, Kubindalila Amrita, Chaitanya Charita Amrita, Krishna Baba Amrita, Amrita, Amrita. <laughs> so, but yes, of course, scriptural study should be done with some guidance. It's not that I just pick the book that I like the cover most or something like that. No? So, it should be done under the guidance of, of, of Vaishnavs, some uh, senior Vaishnavs that will not only tell us which book to read, <laughs> but also help us into the proper understanding of the book and so on. We should hear from them the explanations of the book and so on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mars, so much for your sangha. Thank you. I'm just thinking now, usually this is when we, we uh, usually end. I'm just wondering if maybe some devotees might want to stay on. I don't know how your time is looking, Marge, if, if you have more time. Um, I'm just checking out... Do any of the other devotees have any questions or reflections for Maharaj? Just checking it. Yeah, I have some minutes yet. Now here it's eight, 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 ten p.m. So, okay. Does anybody else have any questions for Maharaj or or reflections they want to share? Hmm. No. Okay. Well, I can say from my side, Maharaj, that I feel super enlightened. Um, 
to go back and listen to the recording and take some notes. Um, yeah, I just feel like you're you're helping me reset my understanding of certain very core sadhana principles. I feel extremely grateful for the sangha and that you came and spent you know your evening, or I think your first evening in Bangalore with us. So from my side, thank you very much, and hopefully you'll join us again in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for the invitation, and it's my pleasure, honor, good fortune to be try to be of service to all of you sincere Vaishnavs in the service of your Gurudevs, your your own selves and my Gurudev as well. So thank you for engaging me and somehow hope to keep in touch or meet you in person eventually also. Thanks much. Jai. 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 Jai.